Welcome back in. Brady Farkas show here on this Wednesday on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Joining us now, Red Sox and Bruins insider over at Nesson, Tom Karen, with us every Wednesday at this time. TC, how are you? Doing well, Brady. How you doing? Excellent. I'm going to throw a little curveball at you today if you're ready for this. So Buster only usually joins us on Thursday, but Buster can't join us tomorrow because he's doing the Red Sox game tomorrow against the Phillies. So Buster's going to join us later in the show. As a result of that, I'm going to pivot and talk more Bruins with you and get completely out of my comfort zone. Okay, let's try it. All right, let's have some fun here. So I was completely out of disconnect yesterday completely disconnected so i didn't watch any of the bruins win in calgary and it sounds like i missed a dan the 54 saves for all mark completing an unbeaten and awesome west coast swing tc sounds like i i picked a bad day to be uh, out of the loop yeah i mean it was a complete game and, and in all fairness we had a 6 40 p.m baseball game on Nesson, so i uh, i saw as much of it as you did uh, so <laughs> Uh, from what I read, just a, a really complete effort, uh, great outing in net. Uh, you, you know, you had the new guys kick it in. You had the late overtime goal from McAvoy. I mean, it is absolutely stunning what this team is doing right now. I think they need to go 16-6 and six over the remaining 22 games to finish with the most points in NHL history, and I'm still sitting here trying to figure out how this is happening, considering four months ago, five months ago, we were wondering if they could you know, even make the playoffs given all the injuries and the new coaching staff. Yeah, I mean, again, it's the new coaching staff, right? I mean, it all begins there. Jim Montgomery's a guy who has uh, sort of just uh, changed the atmosphere in the room, and we talked a lot about Bruce Cassidy. I'm a big fan of Bruce Cassidy. But, man, what a, what a good move by the Bruins to just change the voice. A guy who comes in and, and whether it's uh, his role in getting Krejci to come back or bringing the best out of the Jake DeBruff type, uh, give Don Sweeney full credit. He, you know, may, I, I criticized the move for Allmark a couple of years ago, thought Swayman was the guy who didn't need him. Uh, he's become one of the best goalies in the NHL. That was a good move. Uh, this was a, was a great deal at the deadline, uh, or before the deadline, or at the deadline now. But but you add depth up front, you add depth on the D line. I mean, they've been pushing all the right buttons since the beginning of the season. I understand the answer might just be as simple as their hockey players, but why is load management not a term in the NHL? That's a great question, isn't it? Uh, and and maybe it is because they're their hockey players. Maybe it's because as hard as they go and as as much intensity as there is, you know, a shift is 50 seconds. I mean, it's a it's it's sprinting bursts with rest in between. And say which will, the NBA, you know, the best players are out there for the better part of the entire game. So maybe it's something to do with their ability to, to rest and recover. I do wonder if you might see a little bit of load management in a hockey way. Uh, down the stretch here, if you want to make sure that Bergeron and Krejci and Marshawn are all ready uh, come playoff times, uh, you, you can ease back off the throttle a little bit. But this doesn't feel like that type of team, does it? No, it doesn't. And and I guess how, how much of it is money-related also? Like, I understand how valuable these pieces are to the Bruins, but in the NBA, guys are making $35, $40 million a year. How much, how much does that factor in versus guys making $7 million a year? Oh, I, I honestly don't think it factors in within the decision-making of an organization. I think an organization looks at what it needs to do to win. I, I, I don't think 
you know, Cam Neely and Don Sweeney are having conversations saying, eh, we're only paying Berger on this. Let's get him out there and make him play. Uh, I don't think it factors in. The, the way that, you know, the, the part of what factors in on the, on the financial side is that, you know, you don't have, you know, the, the 15-day contract that the NBA has where you can just bring a guy in every now and again. So the salary cap structure in the NHL is such that you're only, you know, only so many guys are active, and every time you activate a guy, it has ramifications on your salary cap uh, uh, hit. So I, that could factor into it a little bit, I guess. Tom Karen, Bruins insider, Sox insider. We will get to some baseball momentarily, but another hockey question here for TC. The Rangers get Tarasenko from the Blues. They get Patrick Kane from the Blackhawks. They've already got Panarin, who's excellent, very good goaltender. How much do you fear the Rangers in the Eastern Conference? I, I think the Rangers have really improved themselves. I, I think the Leafs have improved themselves with trades. I, I love this Eastern. I mean, you never sleep on the Lightning. I, I think – now, the Eastern Conference, uh, you, you've got about five teams that have gone all in, and I absolutely love it. And make no mistake, as good as they have been, uh, come the Stanley Cup playoffs, the pressure is squarely on the Bruins. You're going to post the best season in franchise or perhaps NHL history. You better win some games come the playoffs, and those early playoff games where nothing is a given. Uh, they're going to be dealing with the pressure that they haven't felt all season. So I, I think it's going to be a really intriguing playoff run for the Brewers. TC, I don't know how in tune you are with the Hockey East women's uh, game, but just kind of pointing out to you today that the UVM women are in the Hockey East semifinals against Providence. If they win, they'll likely face the uh, juggernaut of uh, Boston University for a chance to get to the NCAA tournament. Pretty cool here for the Catamount women to kind of come from obscurity within the last few years and steadily build this thing to a point where they've been nationally ranked all year, and here they are playing for a spot in the Hockey East finals. Yeah, I have followed them. It's, it is great for the sport. I, I love that, you know, the, the old days of, of Northeastern and Harvard and, and BU being juggernauts and, and everybody else being in the sort of second class uh, is no longer the case. Uh, UVM uh, has a terrific program running right now. Uh, you know, uh, what we've seen BC, what that used to be a doormat, is now a really good program. You've got schools like Holy Cross that, that don't have great records but, but have uh, now built – something that is going to be uh, a contender in the future. The women's game, for a long time, I, you know, I did the first ever Hockey East Women's Championship years ago, play-by-play. Providence won the first couple of those. And, and I remember just talking about the skill level improving, but you still had a very short list of really good programs in the women's game. Harvard, Providence, back then uh, uh, Brown was, was a juggernaut under Digit Murphy, and now uh, it's, it's not quite to the men's side in depth, but it's getting much closer where you've got, you know, five, six teams in every conference that really can make a run deep, and that gets deeper every year, and that's great for the women's sport. All right, let's talk about the Red Sox, and the Red Sox played the Marlins yesterday, and a guy that wasn't there was Matt Barnes, the former Red Sox reliever, and Barnes came out the other day with uh, with some comments that are raising eyebrows. They seem like a shot at high and bloom, T.C., yeah, they did. I, I talked to him last night and, and, you know, clearly still shocked by what happened. Uh, said it took him time uh, in this offseason to really come to grips with it and get himself refocused. Become usually guys at this point in their career are used to the business side, but he's been 12 years in the Red Sox organization and now is getting a taste of the business side of it really for the first time. Uh, comments, you know, he, he went out of his way to talk about 
Brian O'Halloran and Eddie Romero and, and Raquel Torreira, the assistant general managers, but absolutely didn't mention High and Bloom and made a shot about the organization as more than the people who were running it. Uh, you know, he didn't stick around for the game last night. I talked to him. He said, I, I, you know, I don't need to be here and be rah-rah against them. Uh, we'll do that in June when we come to Fenway Park. So he got his workout done in the afternoon and got out of there quickly. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, it's still pretty raw. Uh, it was no doubt about that uh, when talking to Matt Barnes last night. Tristan Casas homered yesterday. Tristan Casas is a more interesting guy even than I realized. There was the interesting story that came out uh, last week in Mass Live from Chris Cotillo about how he clashed last year with some of the Red Sox veterans. We know he's, you know, he likes to sunbathe before the games. He's got his pregame nap routine. Now he's got his nails painted. Interesting guy, this Tristan Casas. Yeah, very different guy, very unique, uh, I think in a good way. Uh, this is the kind of guy that baseball never would have allowed to flourish 20 years ago. Uh, the veterans absolutely would have crushed a guy like this. And You know, I talked to him a little bit about it. I had a really good conversation with Alex Verdugo about it, another guy, you know, who likes to show his style and, and have a little bit of flair. And, and he said, you know, baseball has done a good job of, of creating space for, for young guys, uh, as we know. We live in a different world. Everybody marches to the beat of their own drum, and we try to embrace that in society. Uh, baseball's been a little slower to embrace change, but but in the case of Tristan Casas, you know, they, uh, Cora was quick with us to, to dismiss the, the part of the, the Chris Cotillo article that said that it was an issue with his teammates. He said it wasn't an issue with the teammates, but you, know, you can't be napping in the middle of the, the, the clubhouse while the team is getting ready to go. They've got a nap room up in the back, go take a nap there. You know, he made a joke that you can't lay out in right field <laughs> to sunbathe at Fenway. So he said, go do it up on the Coca-Cola deck. And it was a great line by Corey. He said, that's closer to the sun anyway, so you <laughs> might as well go up there. Uh, I, you know, Corey's a good guy at deflecting uh, and, and, you know, uh, kind of uh, scaling back on controversy. I think he did a really good job of, of making this a positive, even though the the piece that Chris did made it sound like there was a controversy going on. TC, let me get you out of here on a broadcasting logistics question. I've been fascinating or fascinated rather by watching various broadcast teams and how they've handled the pitch clock. Uh, some broadcast teams put it up in the corner of their scoreboard like a shot clock. Other broadcast teams don't put it up at all. I haven't noticed the pitch clock yet be a part of the Nesson score bug. Is that something we're going to see come in the season? Are you guys going to make it seem like baseball as usual? Yeah, so we're playing around with it. You'll definitely see it in some way during the season. Uh, the difference is in a lot of these uh, broadcasts down here, we're not the only ones there. We don't, during regular season, the Major League ballparks, we're essentially to dumb it down, we, we are sort of hardwired into the scoreboard, right? So we can just incorporate their clock. That doesn't happen in these spring training ballparks. So we actually have to have a camera on the scoreboard and then superimpose our camera feed of the, you know, it, it's just ah. not clean. Um, so that it's really not about what we do or don't think we should do. It's just right now what's technically, we can't we dedicate one of our cameras to the scorebook the whole game. So uh, we're playing around with some things right now. You'll see it in some way during the regular season. Not, you know, not giving away trade secrets, but I, I think we're right now leaning towards the maybe we bring it in with 10 seconds left. You know, you don't need to be counting down from 20, I don't think, with man on base. But I think, you know, when you get to 10, that's when the action starts, right? The catcher's got to be in at 9, the batter's got to be in at 8, and then the pitcher's got to deliver. So, I, you know, we're going to play around with some things. And, you'll, <clears throat> excuse me, you'll see us try – 
some different things uh, over the course of spring training and see what works. And we're getting feedback from fans. Uh, it's just, you know, listen, we're, we're a weekend. I absolutely love it. The pace of play is unbelievable. The, the, the guys seem to be adapting to it pretty well. Uh, we had that, you know, bizarre thing in, in – uh, against Atlanta where we had the walk, the, the clock off yeah. by game, uh, to end it. Uh, and, you know, last night, Kevin Euclid during our broadcast was speculating, like, how do you score it? We had a strike three on a violation last night. Is it a backwards K? I mean, he didn't swing, uh, but he wasn't looking because the pitch was never thrown. Jason Baratek texted in and said, maybe you go a K with a circle, so you got the circle K. Uh, but, but these are, you know, there's all these little ramifications that are playing themselves out over the month of spring training. But I think, you know, the feedback I've gotten from fans, and there are certainly fans who don't like it. They think we're, the game is being thrown on its, on its head. Uh, but I'm hearing that they find it to be a much more compelling product. It's, 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 it's quick action. The pitchers are dealing. The action comes quick. We've got a lot of runs and a lot of hits, and, and these games are being played in, you know, two and a half, two hours and 45 minutes, more on par with an NBA or, or an NHL game. Uh, so I, you know, I think by the time we break camp in a month, and, and we're in March now, there'll be a major league baseball game that matters played this month for the Red Sox. Uh, I, I think these guys will have it figured out to the point where we're not talking about it quite as much. But a weekend, it's been spectacular. If the pitcher, or if there's a violation, does the pitcher get charged with a pitch on his overall pitch count? I, it's a great question, and I asked somebody that the other day, and I haven't gotten an official answer yet. <laughs> I assume not, right? Because he didn't throw the pitch. What happens I mean, now like, when they do the intentional walk? I guess it would be the same thing. Does a guy get four pitches thrown and four balls yeah, thrown? And and he does not. Okay. He does not get called for the four pitches. So there you go. Uh, that's probably. But I, I, it's a great question, and I keep forgetting to ask the right people at the right time. <laughs> I was just I'm thrown around when I'm up in the press box. I'm doing play by play for our games this weekend, and I, I will have an. I promise you, Saturday when we do the game against the Astros. I will have an answer of that question. So tune in, and I'll, I'll answer it on the air. TC, much appreciated. Looking forward to more Red Sox coverage. Thanks for the bees' help today, and we'll talk in seven days. Sounds good. Thanks, Brandon.